I'll say one thing this morning. You came to sing, and that was good. And I was, each song we sang, it was like, yes, the sermon, yes, we're getting to the sermon. It just supported everything about where we're headed this morning and the direction of responding to God's sovereignty, His goodness to us, to know His love that will lead us. And the best way that you and I can know His love is by His Word. To see His promises in the Scriptures come alive in us. Not just in us and within us, but in our stories. And the testimonies of God's grace just threading in and out. And His sovereignness over us, working. It's always easy to look back and track what the Lord is doing. But to have faith looking forward is much different. The variable of trust in our sovereign Savior, I hope this morning you walk away more confidently. You walk away with the comfort of knowing that our good and great shepherd is guiding us every step of the way to those who are faithful, to those who are repentant, and to those who are obedient to what he's doing in their life and around their lives. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 23, a very common psalm. From presidential candidates to presidents to nonprofits to funerals to marriages, we've seen this psalm used across a magnitude of different, different ways. But this morning, we want to use it to grow the church. I wanted to use it to edify you, to bring into light what God is doing around us. Psalms 23 is being as common as it is to those note takers. I do apologize. We do not have the slides as I'm sure you become common to. But I want to let you know, those who are taking notes, there will be two parts, but seven points. So go ahead and be thankful you're not in childcare this morning. That's important, huh? What you think, Josh? Can I get an amen there? <laughs> now, we're going to breeze through this because these are things that we've heard. Some of you will hear them for the first time, and if you hear them for the first time, I hope they convict you and give you clarity. But for those of you who have heard and read this and meditated on this prayer time and time again, may it affirm and comfort you. Charles Spurgeon writes, I hope we all know this psalm by heart. May we also know it by heart experience. It is a sweet pastoral song that just suited, that is just suited for the Sabbath. There is no din of arms, no noise of war, but there is a delicious, I love what he writes here, there is a delicious hush, only broken by the gentle tinkling of the shepherd's bell. God gives us sweet rest. He does. As Spurgeon writes, we should experience that same peace and rest that is found in Psalms 23. The same peace and comfort and rest that David found in the Lord his shepherd. Let's read it together. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Each and every one of us in this room need that sweet rest that Charles Spurgeon wrote about. That peace of mind. Can we all agree that we live in a noisy world? A system that is constantly closing in on us. One that is enticing. One that is grabbing at us at our ankles. One that is, I would describe it as suffocating. We're tempted to keep up with what we say the Joneses. We want the newest and the latest. Technology is always ongoing and changing. The newest and next movie or book or whatever you want to call it, whether it be the group or the coaching, the sports and the games, we know the system of this world is not going anywhere. I describe it as a noose to many people. Before you know it, you're caught in this system and this got its arms, if you would, this imagery around our collar. And it is squeezing and it is squeezing until there's nothing left to squeeze. Yet church, we are all so familiar with chasing after its comforts. We choose these things. We allow these things in our life that disturb our peace that disturb our solitude, that disturb our quietness as faithful followers of Christ. And we must protect and guard against that. And we will learn in our passage that we have a protector. We have one who goes to fight for us. But we must follow. There's many reasons we all should hear this passage this morning. Whether it's anxiety, adversity, an overwhelming amount of worry or depression, Maybe it's grief over loss. Maybe it's grief over a marriage or job, some loved one. But we are all found in this place. Whether it's looking for a sense of purpose, or maybe you're in a place even as dark as thinking that no one cares about you. Deceit is real. The world expectation suffocating us is reality. But this morning, we can walk out confidently knowing two things, that the Lord is our shepherd and that the Lord is our host. That's good news for you and I. That will give us peace to forego all these entanglements that surround us. These images should leave us confident, comforted in the continued work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So trust with me as we look into this passage. I was working in the yard yesterday, trying to get the backyard ready, just ideas and having a vision for what we want to do, host, be available to people, come hang out, watch the games, let the kids play safely. But as I was doing the yard work and sweating, it's, it's just good. I wouldn't want to do it all the time, I should be quite frank, but it was just good to get in there and, and just get into it, you know what I'm saying? Sweat. And this quote kept just resurfacing in my mind, and I want to share it with you by Richard Sibes. And I've shared it before, but there are some new faces in here. Glory follows afflictions, not as the day follows the night, but as the spring follows the winter. 
For the winter prepares the earth for the spring. So do afflictions sanctify, prepare the soul for glory. That's where we are this morning as I prayed, as I thought about what I wanted to share with you coming out of these truths. There will be a parallel of testimony, but also the word, the passage. But we must choose the comfort of our guiding Lord. That isn't without question. Our shepherd, because this is the same shepherd with his staff that will go to combat for us. But then we must trust the sanctuary of God, because he is our host. He is our Lord. Our God is a God who cares. And he's a God who keeps us safe for eternity. We got to walk in that church. Just as the shepherd cares for his sheep, so does the Lord care for his people, providing the needs, guiding them, and caring for them and protecting them. So there's two images. I told you there's two parts that we'll break this down into. The first one is this. He is the great shepherd. The great shepherd. How is he the great shepherd to you and I? First point I'd like to bring, number one, is that he knows his sheep. According to Psalms 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A single flock, as I was reading and studying about the sheep, as few as 10 animals, ours hundreds. But despite however many there are numerically, it is the shepherd's responsibility to be a good shepherd to know each and every one of them. It makes sense when we talk about the Lord as the shepherd. But likewise, I believe David uses this metaphor as the shepherd to describe God, but not just to talk about God and his designation and the name of who he is, but our relationship with the Heavenly Father. It puts us in position as sheep, and him as the great shepherd, and our willingness to be guided and to be led by him. He loves his children. He loves his faithful. That's you and I. For those of you who are called according to his purposes, who have seen the gospel and heard the gospel and revealed, the gospel has revealed itself to you and you have responded, you are a child of God, you are a sheep. But then this writer here, David, says, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. We understand that very clearly. But he says, we shall not want. It simply means to need nothing else. And that's going to lead us to our second point, that he provides for his sheep. But before I get there, let me give you this illustration. As I said, we will parallel my testimony, our testimony, and how God has made himself alive in this passage through our story as of late. When my daughter, our daughter, passed away, my feelings did not want God. Have you ever been there? Our, in your feelings, you did not want God. You didn't want anything God had to give to you. Though my feelings did not want God, my faith did. There is a difference this morning, church. That we trust him. Even though I did not feel like worshiping this God who allowed such tragedy, my faith did. And that is God's grace. God's grace is that he established my faith long before the turbulent events, the tragedy. 
And when my faith wanted him, it was my faith that led me beside still waters. It was my faith that led me to the greener pastures that is promised in our first part of this verse. For the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He makes us, makes me to lie down in greener pastures. He leads us beside the still waters, church. Number two, he provides for his sheep. He provides for his sheep. When you think about greener pastures and still waters, can't help to think about the places of rest and the vegetation that you find where the water source is. It's a place for us to feed, a place for us to nurture our souls in deep times of darkness and affliction. Church, when we do not feel like it, let our faith lead us to these places. This promise here tells us that he leads us to greener pastures and still water, but we still must follow. It's going to be an ongoing struggle on this side of heaven to forego what we feel and think our flesh wants and to follow our faith to what we know is right. God knows and is aware of our every need, but we must trust him. Isn't that what faith is after all? To trust in something that we cannot see? My feelings versus faith in darkness, I wrestle with who do I trust? But I must know, and I am here to stand before you as a testimony of God's faithfulness. That he will lead you to greener pastures and stiller waters. And my faith during that time, specifically my daughter's death, my faith led me to those pastures that restored me. Number three, in Psalms 23.3, it says, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. The great shepherd not only knows me, knows you. Now, he not only provides for me and provides for you, but he promises to restore us in all of our brokenness. God is gracious. He's so gracious. In our struggle, he gives guidance. In our affliction, he gives comfort. In our sin, he gave salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. If you are in here this morning and you are in this place asking and questioning where your salvation remains, who is this Jesus? I want to present to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Child, kid, teenager, if you are searching what the truth is, here is the truth. That there is sin, there is death. But there is life in Jesus Christ. He not only restores us graciously on this side of heaven, but he restores us in eternity. That's hope. God's hope. 
He leads his faithful in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Church, even in our wrong decisions, how many times as a small child to a father, they make their own decisions and we just love them and discipline them. Likewise, our Heavenly Father, even in our wrongdoings and our wrong decisions, God is gracious to those who are repentant and he restores. God is restoring our lives. He's doing it the same way he's done for many of you. Not just in moments of tragedy, but grief in general, and hurt, and pain, and betrayal. God has used the gospel of Jesus Christ to restore those things on this side of heaven. To use them for his glory and for his name's sake. He has given us opportunities in this restoration part of this whole scene that when we have these stories in our lives to take them and share the gospel. But here's the difference. Listen to me quickly. Here's the difference between sharing the gospel in your situation. You have a choice, once again, to follow or not. A, isolate yourself, point to yourself, and miss the opportunity to preach the gospel. Or B, solitude, pray, point to righteousness, reveal the sin, and preach the gospel. That's where true restoration is found for his namesake. It's so easy to do the first. It is so easy to find yourself just wanting to be isolated. But then that self-righteousness festers. And before you know it, you've missed opportunities to preach the gospel. We have a decision to follow the one who is leading us to restoration. Please, church, I plead with you. From my testimony, it's worth it. It's good. It's living water. It's living water. But it's hard. As I said earlier, our flesh will wage against our souls. We will want to do what we want to do versus what we know we need to do. Follow your faith, not your feelings, church. Fourth point I'd like to make this morning is he restores us, but he guides his sheep. He will guide us. Psalms 23.3, he leads us to the path of righteousness for his name's sake. To follow someone, you trust them. Wives, you follow your husband's. You trust them. You're secure. You follow those who lead you in your workplace. You follow those, your fathers, your mothers. There's a leader in our life pretty much at all points because yourself's a leader. You have to lead your soul. You have to guide yourself to do what is right. But what's beautiful about this is not all the responsibility is not wholeheartedly on you. The promise here that he will guide his sheep. When we do not know what to do, we in solitude and prayer, Father, you make right. You will do what's right. Show me what to do. Like a shepherd, the Lord is already pointing out. He is pointing out and leading us into these promised streams, into these promised greener pastures for nurturing our faith. He's already giving us the word of God. How many times have we found ourselves seeking and chasing all these different intangible things that 
And all he wants is us to go back to read his promises, to read his truth, and to be reminded in our faith where it all started and that it's going to be finished one day and it will be victorious. And then we pray and we find ourselves in a healthy church community practicing and exercising the sacraments, baptism, and Lord's Supper. There are things that God is so graciously giving us already to guide us as his sheep. But then we know that there are those moments and hours of the day that we must be in union with the Spirit of God so he can track with us and lead us and guide us, not based on how we feel, but the strengthening and the intuition that we dig deep to understand through prayer, fasting, all eyes on what God is doing, all eyes. He will guide us as his sheep. And I have in my notes here that I have to thank you, church. I have to thank you for loving us. Loving us. I still remember sitting right there, right there, with y'all hovering over us, praying with us. It was like that. God used you as a hand to just move and guide us and love us. So thank you. And you continue to do that. Church, when we do not let us, when we do not understand, let us choose God. We've got to take his word. We've got to let it fill our frame. And when our frail bodies, when there's slumber and stature and our minds are weakened with worry, let us trust the promises of God forever. I know we'll be whole again. But until then, we have to fight against our flesh, fight against who we are, fight against what we want versus what God wants in our times, because that will lead us to restoration. It will lead us to our provision. It will lead us to knowing God more and more in his true character. He's a God that protects us. He protects our sheep, number five. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He protects his sheep. That language there, shadow of death, it's so real. Whether you've experienced a close one who you've loved in grief die, You literally wake up every day in this shadow of death and what it's doing in your life. But David here is saying that though we face the gloomy shadow of death, whether it's a marriage, job, or child, or brother, sister, husband, God understands. He understood David understood death. There was no shortage of enemies against David. And there's no shortage of enemies against our God. The problem with isolation in these situations I mentioned earlier is we feel that we stand alone. And that's not the truth. You're not alone. God understands. 
He does. He understands where you are. He understands death. He understands what it took to give up his son to die so that you and I could have salvation in eternity, be kept for eternity by the grace of God. He protects us. He guides us. He understands the shadows of death. And David so boldly proclaimed, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Do you trust him in that this morning, church? Do you trust, like David so boldly proclaimed, that we will not fear evil? We will not fear anything that comes against us and our testimonies and witnesses for the glory and namesake of God? That's hard to do on our own. But we have a God who understands. He protects our souls. He protects our minds. And he protects our hearts if we give ourselves to that. He renews our mind with his word, restores our soul with salvation. That is good news. And because of his knowledge, God's knowing, his sovereignty over us, that gives him the ability to protect us. Can you find comfort in that this morning? That though you may have physical ailments, whether it's brought on from your decisions or someone else's decisions, sin is involved. Can we trust God against the face of sin? Yes, we can. Because it's defeated. It's already promised. There is victory. We must give ourselves to it. He will guide us through it. And number six, he comforts comforts his sheep church he comforts you and I your rod and your staff they comfort me the rod and staff here is a single instrument and the reason I want to bring that to light is because I think it's important for the next four applications that I give to you in regards to him being a shepherd and using his staff one is to fight off animals That imagery that we have is God is the great shepherd. Our Lord is the great shepherd. He uses it to fight off animals. Secondly, the crooked part of the staff was gently used to seize sheep who were running astray. The third, they also used it to run through the sheep's wool to see if there was any marks, scars, diseases, things of that nature. And then number four, they used it to count their sheep. The whole imagery of him being the great shepherd is just fabulous. That he will do whatever it takes to protect his own. There is great comfort in that. There has to be. We find comfort as his sheep. He protects us. He restores us and guides us and he knows us. That's the first image we have here of the shepherd. But let's look at the second image that I believe switches gears and talks about our God as the great host. The great host. You prepare a table before me. 
already setting up. I know my wife loves to have people over and use our table and, and cook. But we already see this image here. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is a host. Some have argued that this specific part of the passage is still talking about shepherd. But I lean towards the Lord being the host. And the reason I do so is because of the simple putting on the oil as a guest, preparing a table before the enemies, the cup, the Lord's house. All these seem to describe a faithful person like you and I being a guest at God's house. So as the Lord is the great host, our seventh and last point, he hosts his faithful. He hosts his faithful. Two ways here, church, to understand this word host according to our passage. One is it's a host is a place for a living organism to dwell. Two, a person who receives someone Someone who receives and prepares a meal or basically receives someone as a guest. So number one, you have a place where the living organism can actually be inside and live and dwell. And then the second one is a person who receives other people as guests. As we see this table being prepared in this passage, I love how it says, and I want to give testimony to how clear this has come to us. I prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. On one of our last trips to Nashville, Melissa and I had the privilege of meeting a sweet lady. Her name was Libby. She's also known as Elizabeth Groves. She is a doctor professor of the Old Testament in Westminster Seminary, Theological Seminary. She was with us at this respite retreat, and for those who don't know, respite retreat is a place for grieving parents. It's basically our, our circle of grieving parents that has lost children. And Melissa and I have had a, an opportunity to get to know those parents, and we come together and we do reunions and et cetera. Well, Elizabeth shows up because she lost her husband. And she began to give testimony to Melissa and I about memories of her and her husband around their dinner table. That was the, her favorite part of her house. She loved having people over to share the gospel and talk, share stories. But she specifically gave a story about how she was sitting with her husband in his last year of living. And they would, guests would come and visit because he couldn't get out of the house. She'd do her normal thing and prepare a meal. And she, this passage came alive in her, that she prepare a meal in the face of my enemy. She gave this thought that she would think as she sat there and enjoyed gospel-seeding conversations. She just imagined death in the corner, just sulking, isolated, not winning 
Because even in the midst of hurt and heartache and grief and every word imaginable to describe losing your spouse and watching them die, she was able to celebrate this meal of the gospel continuing to work at the table physically, but not only physically, but spiritually, eternally. Guys, that is good. And when she told that story to Melissa and I, and I was able to be able to track back to what the Lord was doing with us, it became so clear that our story, each piece of the meal that God is using in our lives is when we get a chance to present and share the gospel. People ask about our daughter 99% of the time before they ask about who Jesus Christ is. But as an ambassador of the good news and the hope and faith that we have in Jesus Christ, as we tell that story, God uses her as a missionary for us to thread the gospel. That is the meal in the face of our enemy. We have a choice, church. Our Lord is a great host. He has prepared for us a meal for us to use in light of eternity for his goodness and for his mercy. God is faithful and just. I didn't see exactly how in those first hours and first months in first days of some, I would say, the darkest of my life, I didn't see exactly at first how this passage, Psalms 23, would come alive in me. But God, in his guiding, God, in his revealing the path each hour at a time, my faith was always strengthened, even when I didn't feel like it was. He was gracious His mercy overcame deep pains. And his promise, that last promise, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope you can say that, church, this morning. I hope you can walk out these doors and say, I'm going to dwell in the house of God forever. If you can't say that, I invite you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the great host. His promise to dwell. What a host he is. To love me in my sin, to love me in my pain, to love us in our wrong decisions, to invite me in my anger, even when I was mad, and even when I didn't understand. What a great host he is, church. And what a greater host he is to have my daughter till I get there. That is the great and good shepherd who loved and has guided us. This is our God, church. This is the great shepherd. And I hope this morning, as quick as we went through, there's so much to say about that song, that you were able to walk away and walk in confidence that he hosts you forever. There will be a final meal. We will be together. But until then, Until then, he will provide for you. He will care. He will guide. He will restore you. And I leave you with this final statement. I would almost say this is a charge to you, church, to consider. 
Like a noose, the noise of life will find its way around your collars. It's going to squeeze and squeeze. You'll find yourself famished because we've chased the comforts of this world. We have neglected our souls spiritually, but yet still we find ourselves in distress, wondering why we're wayward in wilderness. But God, he's gracious. Brothers and sisters, yield with caution and cling to this great shepherd that I mentioned this morning. Let's forego the entanglements, the enticements of this enemy that we call the world. Let's fight to remain focused on our kingdom-minded task. For we are at war, but we have a great protector. We are broken, but he restores. Remember, Christ loves you in this hour. He loves you in the next hour. And he loves you into eternity. This morning, this truth must guide us in a holy way of living out our life. With repentance and obedience. Church, may God's grace and mercy guide us all. For he is the great shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I trust you. I trust you with salvation. I trust you to keep it. I thank you for your grace and mercy. And as we respond in song, and as your word convicts, and as it comforts in the same way, I pray, God, that your people in this church can walk out of here smiling and knowing that they are loved and that they are hosted by the greatest shepherd of all. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and caring for us and giving us a meal that we can feast on in the presence of our enemy. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.